Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hi, friends, and welcome to Praying for America. It is the 17th of January. It is a Tuesday. I'm so uh, grateful for you taking time to be with me on this program where patriots and Christians from across the nation gather to pray for America, to recommit ourselves to save America, to understand the principles on which America is based, and to evaluate what's going on in our nation according to those biblical and American principles. We got some big things going on in our nation the last, the next few days. I spoke uh, last night about the convergence of three big observances that speak to us about justice and life. Uh, the Martin Luther King holiday, uh, we talk about, you know, continuing and fulfilling the dream of Dr. King for equality and justice. Uh, we have the March for Life coming up on Friday. How about applying that equality and justice to the youngest children who still don't even have the right to life secured under law, although that's changing for the better. Uh, and then we have the week of prayer for Christian unity that begins tomorrow. And Christians unite together in many different ways, uh, one of which, and not the least of which, is the advocacy for justice and for the most defenseless among us, the unborn. We saw Christians come together in the civil rights movement. We see Christians coming together in the pro-life movement, which is, I believe, the greatest expression of work among different Christians for the sake of justice. So welcome. I want to start with uh, Jeremiah, and then we're going to talk about, uh, first of all, I just want to give a couple of comments on on uh, on, on some recent uh, news items. And then I want to talk about the theme this year for the annual March for Life event that'll be coming up in Washington on, uh, well, the events will be on Thursday, on Friday, and on Saturday. The theme being equality begins in the womb. Let's ref We'll reflect on that theme a little bit. But let's go to Jeremiah first and uh, look at how he begins his prophecy. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, you have indeed given all of us a mission from before we were even created. You appointed us, you gave us a relationship with you before we were even born. While we were in the womb, you knew our name, our calling, our mission, and you equipped us for it. Therefore, Lord, for each person listening right now, give renewed confidence that the calling you have given us in life can be fulfilled, that the mission you have bestowed on us in life can be accomplished, that we indeed can live as your followers, live as the people of life, the people of justice, 
and that we indeed can make a change in this world for your kingdom. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, first of all, um, I want to show you this little booklet. I don't know if, if uh, many of you have gotten it. Uh, I know that uh, Governor Mike uh, Huckabee has been uh, promoting this. It's the Kids Guide to President Trump. A very, very um, nice little booklet that they can get at freetrumpbook.com. Freetrumpbook.com. And it's a guide to the accomplishments of the Trump administration. And by looking at those accomplishments, our children learn not only the, the, the value of that administration and the history that was made uh, during those years, but they learn the principles of America First policy, principles that we've discussed on this program and that we will discuss in even more detail after the events of the March for Life this week. But look, for example, at the beginning of this book, uh, did you know that Donald Trump ran for office because he felt America was in trouble? Discover more on page eight. Did you know that Donald Trump uh, hosted a top-rated television show before running for president? Do you know that many of his accomplishments made the country stronger? See what he did. And then later in the booklet, it goes through some of those key accomplishments in a, a very understandable uh, way. There's one page here where it gives a chart, campaign ideas, and then the results lower taxes, reduce corporate regulations, stop illegal immigration, improve trade agreement, agreements with other nations that were being unfair to America, fight back against harmful countries, fight for the First Amendment and against the culture of political correctness, fight terrorism, rebuild the armed forces, support Israel, restore the sanctity of the U.S. Constitution, these promises and then the fulfillment of those promises. Great little booklet, freetrumpbook.com, Kids Guide to President Trump. Remember what the other side wants to do, and I've talked about this a lot. They don't just want to keep President Trump out of office. They're doing everything possible to prevent him from being elected again. But they want to keep him out of the hearts and minds of our of our nation, of our fellow citizens, and of our children. And resources like this help us to counteract all of that. Now, speaking of counteracting that, speaking of uh, policy, oh, by the way, I spoke to talk about the America First policies. This book from the America First Policy Institute is the full-length book version of the shorter pamphlet I showed you and from which we began looking at the 10 pillars of America First policy and their biblical roots. Remember, we did a number of programs on that. We're going to continue delving into that. We're only on principle number three right now about equality and self-governance. But this is a full-length book. Uh, again, the America First Policy Institute. Look that up. You'll be very, very happy that you did. A lot of great things about the agenda uh, that we... Um, need to follow in regard to the key issues of our day to make and keep America great. We'll be delving into this. Uh, our schedule, by the way, uh, is going to be that um, I'm with you tonight.
But then tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I'll be in Washington, D.C., Saturday in San Francisco, Sunday back in Washington for all the events surrounding the 50th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, now a defunct decision, but a decision that unleashed this Holocaust of abortion. Uh, and so we won't have the regular uh, kinds of, of interaction on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday nights, but Monday then we'll be back with our with our uh, uh, analysis of these America First principles and how we can pursue them right here on this program. Um, I want to refer you to another source, truthinaccounting.org, that released a study, and I'm going to show you a chart here of this different states a study of the financial health of the 50 states. Let's take a look at this, and then I'll explain it. I want to show you something interesting about it. Uh, Dan Bongino's uh, program brought me to brought this to my attention the other day. Uh, truthinaccounting.org. Let's see the graphic. And what you see there, the financial state of the states in 2022, a ranking. The states that had the most fiscal health I just want to draw your attention to the first five, the, the most healthy, and then the last five. And I want to ask you the question, and Dan asked this the other day on his podcast. Do you notice a pattern in the, the way that these states are governed? Who's doing the governing? So the most healthy states, according to this analysis, Alaska, North Dakota, Wyoming, Utah, and South Dakota. Um, hmm. Okay, let's go to number six, even Nebraska. Oh, and number seven, Tennessee. Is there any pattern that, that you notice about those states? I'm going to let you think about that, uh, being facetious, of course. Go back to the, uh, let's see, uh, the last five, the worst ones, okay, or the last six. California. Massachusetts, Hawaii, Illinois, Connecticut, New Jersey. Anything come to mind as far as, I don't know, red and blue or uh, Democrat controlled or Republican controlled? You got it. Those most healthy states fiscally happen to be red states. Those worst ones, fiscally, are about as blue as blue can get. Coincidence? I don't think so. Truthinaccounting.org. Take a look at it and uh, spread it around, folks. Let people see uh, the truth of what's going on here as far as um, a fiscal health of the states. You know, there's a basic principle. You know, good morality uh, leads to uh, good fiscal condition, in fact, good conditions overall, whether you're talking about security uh, or finances, education, health care, uh, you're rooted in good morality and uh, you're going to have good outcomes in those other areas too. Okay, let me focus on what's going on in these coming days. We are going to see hundreds of thousands of, of Americans gather in Washington, D.C. for the 50th time, consecutively every year for the last 50 years, and I was at the third annual of, of such gathering, and I've been going ever since, people have come to Washington to march 
on behalf of the children in the womb. It's called the March for Life. What's the request? What's the demand that these citizens are making of our elected officials? Very simple. Protect the lives of the youngest children. That's it. Stop the killing of the babies in the womb. Babies in the womb, first nine months of their existence, are being killed by abortion. We have gathered these last 50 years, and for the last 28 of these years, a special prayer service has been held on the morning of the March for Life, and I've been privileged to help lead and and organize this prayer service. I want to give you a flavor. Now, this goes back a decade already, but this was a particular uh, point in the development of this uh, prayer service and of the uh, people coming to March for Life. It was on the 30th uh, anniversary of, um, uh, no, actually, the 40th, the 40th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision 10 years ago. Uh, This uh, prayer service, we were in the midst of the Obama administration at that time, uh, the Obama-Biden administration, we should say. We were in the midst of attacks that they were launching against the church and against ministries like ours. In fact, against every employer in America, they were trying to force us to violate our conscience by forcing us to include certain forms of abortion in our health insurance plans. But we were also simply standing up against the constant onslaught of those in our country who, for whatever reason, want to see the killing of babies continue. I want to give you a a, a taste of what this prayer service is like, because we're going to do it again this Friday. Uh, We're going to do it again at Constitution Hall. We're going to bring people together again to, to pray and to recommit themselves to defending life, which is to recommit ourselves to the Lord of life, Jesus Christ. Take a look at this uh, clip from the prayer service of 10 years ago. But you know what? When you and I take up this call and we talk about abortion, if we speak about it in church, we're told we're too political. If we speak about it in the political arena, we're told we're too religious. If we speak about it in the world of the media, it's too disturbing. In the world of business, it's too distracting. In the world of education, it's too controversial. In the streets, it's too disruptive. So abortion, if abortion is wrong, where do we go to say so? We go into the churches, we go into politics, into the media, into business, into education, and into the streets. Some churches, some churches haven't wanted, got, wanted to get involved in political hassles with the government. And so they've been silent on abortion. They didn't want to get involved in hassles from the government. They didn't want to take the fight to the government. So now with the HHS mandate, the government took the fight to them. And when it comes to that mandate, we've got a simple message for this administration. We will obey God rather than men.
As Alveda can tell us, her uncle said one day to the civil rights movement, we've got a lot of obstacles in our way, but we're not going to let anything turn us around. We're not going to let no dogs turn us around, no water hoses turn us around, no police clubs or jail sentences, and we're not going to let any injunctions turn us around. And so today I say to you, in the pro-life movement, no Planned Parenthood is going to turn us around. No biased media is going to turn us around. No HHS mandate is going to turn us around. No Obama administration is going to turn us around. Must do this in unity. And so you see there again the convergence of uh, these events that we're having in these days Martin Luther King Day, Week of Prayer for Christian Unity, and the March for Life. Brothers and sisters, the March for Life theme this year is Equality Begins in the Womb. And I want to focus on that with you. Let's unpack that for a moment. What kind of equality? are we talking about? We see this in the Christian teaching, and we see this in our American founding documents, that there is a human equality that we acknowledge. Our founders were very familiar and immersed in the scriptures. In fact, there was no source that they used in writing our founding documents uh, that was more influential than the Bible. And the Bible, of course, talks about the equality of every uh, human being. And uh, we see, for example, in the beginning of the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, uh, these words, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, brothers and sisters, that doesn't talk about some kind of caste system of human beings, some sort of elite group over here who is given privileges and blessings as opposed to some disadvantaged group over there who is given less. No, he calls us from all eternity. When did God decide to make you? For as long as God has been God. When did he decide to bless you with the opportunity for salvation? For as long as he has been God. There wasn't something that happened uh, at a certain point in time that he just made him decide to call you or not to call somebody else. He calls all of us from all eternity to share the blessings of salvation in Christ. We all have the opportunity to do that. If we decide that we don't care about God, if we decide only to follow our own desires and not to give any thought, to the, the Savior or the Lord or the commandments, well, then that's our responsibility. But as far as God is concerned, he opens wide the doors of salvation and spiritual blessing to all of us. And he does so from the foundation of the world. That's what Paul is saying to the Ephesians. 
Equality begins in the womb. You could say equality begins in eternity. Because God always had his love for us, calling us to be more. But then he made us in the womb. As various other scripture passages tell us, we think of Psalm 139, how in the mysterious places God wondrously formed us in our mother's womb. Equality begins there because humanity begins there. Human life begins there. It doesn't begin when we're born. You wouldn't be able to have birth unless someone was being born. Birth is a, is a little journey through the birth canal. And you come out into the light of day. It doesn't mean you weren't there before. You had to be there before in order to be born. Equality begins in the womb because human life begins in the womb. God's call. We see it in, uh, the, the, again, the scripture from uh, Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I appointed you. I gave you your vocation. Then, of course, our, our founders expressed this in the Declaration of Independence when they said that from our Creator we have received certain unalienable rights and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What does unalienable mean? When you alienate something, you throw it away, you get rid of it, you separate yourself from it. But there are certain things you can't separate from yourself. If I wanted to take off this jacket, take off this shirt, take off this microphone, I could alienate myself from those things if I want to. What things can you not alienate yourself from? Your own humanity. No matter what people might want to think these days about how they want to identify or what they want to identify as, you can't throw away your own humanity. No matter what you think, no matter what you do, you'll always be human. Our humanity is unalienable. And what our founders are saying is that there are certain rights that are also unalienable. Why? Because they come along with that humanity. They're part of the same package woven into the same cloth, integral to being human, is having the right to life, having the right to liberty, having the right to pursue happiness. Equality begins in the womb, is emphasizing the fact that these unalienable rights and the humanity to which they are attached belong to those children. You can't say, like Roe versus Wade, said, and the court has now reversed that, you can't say the word person does not include the unborn. That was exactly a quote from Roe v. Wade, and that is wrong. Humanity uh, or, or uh, 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 the word person in the Constitution does not include the unborn. Who are we to say that? Who are we to exclude an entire segment of people who are obviously human from the basic rights that they deserve? Our founders said the right to life is unalienable. You can't throw it away yourself 
and somebody else can't take it from you. Because then they went on to say that the purpose of government is to secure these rights. Which means that a court cannot say that you're not a person. A court cannot say that there are these different gradations of human beings and that some are more privileged than others. Equality is what begins in the womb. Equal rights, equal dignity, and equal opportunity at life. Equality begins in the womb, goes against declarations by a court or by a congress or by a president or by a governor that the word person does not include some human beings. Equality begins in the womb challenges us to ask the question, can there be a human being who is not a human person? If you look at some of the big mistakes of human history, such as the Holocaust, you'll see that that was the mistake that they said that some human beings are not human persons. If you look at the big mistake our nation made with segregation, you'll see that it's a denial of the words that are written on the Supreme Court building, equal justice under law. That some people, because of the color of their skin, were being told, you're not going to have equal opportunity in our country. That's a denial of their unalienable rights. That's an effort to alienate what cannot be alienated from any human being, cannot be taken away. And that's why the founders said governments exist to secure these rights. Why? Because they don't have the authority to alienate them. If the rights are unalienable, not only can you not throw them away, but government can't take them away. It doesn't have the authority to do it. Some people today think that government has the authority to authorize abortion. It doesn't. You can't authorize the killing of innocent human beings. And if you try, you can't limit it just to life. In other words, if you destroy that child in the womb, you've destroyed her education. You've destroyed her health care. You've destroyed her right to work, to travel, to vote to be safe and protected from terrorism. You've destroyed all those things. You can't destroy one and not the other. You can't. And that's why it's hypocritical for, for anybody, politicians or otherwise, to say, oh yeah, well, I'm an advocate for health care. But I'm also an advocate for pro-choice. Abortion is fine. Yeah, but the only problem is that's self-contradictory because when you destroy that child in the womb, you've destroyed her health care. How can you be an advocate for health care? Even some of them saying, oh, this is a human right, a human right. What do you mean it's a human right? Not in your mind, not if you're allowing the killing of those babies because now you're saying that human right belongs to some humans, but not to all. But if it's a human right, you're saying it attaches to your humanity. Well, that means the child in the womb has it too. Can't take it away. It's a human right. Self-contradictory. That's why St. John Paul II wrote in 1988, he said, the common outcry which is justly made on behalf of human rights, and then he mentions health care as one example, is false and illusory if the right to life is not defended with maximum determination. He said the right to life is the condition, the foundation for all the other rights. That's why equality begins in the womb. You can't be talking about equality for human beings at any other stage of their development. 
if you're not acknowledging that the equality begins in the womb. If it doesn't begin in the womb, then where does it begin? If it doesn't begin in the womb, then it means it doesn't begin with your humanity, which means there's no such thing as human rights. You see how the whole structure of human rights collapses as soon as you deny the connection between equality and humanity? You can't argue for human rights if you're separating rights from humanity from the very beginning. That's why this is an important theme. And finally, equality is not equity. We see the, the promoters of abortion these days also talking about equity. And when it comes to abortion, for example, they'll say, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, rich people, they can travel and get abortions, and the poor are left without any access to abortion. First of all, as if abortion is a good thing. And I think killing your baby is a good thing. It's a harmful thing, not only to the baby, but to you. But putting that aside for a moment, look, look at the, the twisted kind of mindset that they are in. It's like, oh, well, we have to make sure that, that uh, you know, there's just as much baby killing going on among the poor as there is among the rich. That's another way of saying what they're saying. Let's make sure that just as many children of the poor get killed as the children of the rich. What a sick way of thinking. How about you step back and, and instead of start trying to make everything uh, equal in terms of outcomes, now we want to make sure that there's just as many you know, people of every background under the sun uh, uh, attending this university or working in this company. We want to make sure there's a, the, the, it's not the outcome that the founding fathers are talking about. It's the opportunity. It's not about equity, it's about equality. You don't say, oh, let's just make sure that as many babies are killed among the poor as are killed among the rich. How about saying there's an equality of human beings which says we shouldn't kill anybody? That's where you got to start. And that's what this theme this year is emphasizing. Equality begins in the womb. If you go into a society and... Uh, and you talk about how successful people are going to be or might be. If two people have an equal opportunity at an education, and one of them studies and does her homework and completes the tests and attends the classes, graduates, gets a degree, and then is able to obtain certain jobs because of that degree, good for her. And if somebody who has equal opportunity to go to that school and to take those courses goofs off, skips class, doesn't study, and fails the tests, and doesn't get the degree, whose fault is that? And what should we be making sure happens? We should be making sure that everybody has that same opportunity. Doesn't mean the outcomes are going to be the same. Two people have the same opportunity at a job and one of them decides to work full-time and make a lot of money, and the other one decides to only work half the time and goof off the rest of the time, what do you expect? Of course the outcomes are not going to be equal. But they had equal opportunity. Give everyone an equal opportunity at life itself by making sure that they can be born, first of all. Equality begins in the womb. It's a beautiful theme Let's learn it, let's spread it, let's live it, and let's make sure that it gets implemented 
in our public policies. Governments exist to secure these rights, not to deny them, not to limit them, not to destroy them, to secure them. Come with me to the March for Life, friends, if you're able to. We're going to start on Thursday with a prayer service at Planned Parenthood from 9 to 11 in the morning. We're going to continue on Friday with the National Prayer Service at Constitution Hall. That's the the clip I showed you. Join me again for that. I'll be delivering another powerful message there. Constitution Hall in Washington, D.C., starting at 8.30 a.m. It's at nationalprayerservice.com. And then the march itself will follow after that. And then at the end of the march, we'll be in front of the steps of the Supreme Court around 2, 2.30 in the afternoon for the Silent No More gathering. And we'll show you a spot at the end of uh, the Silent No More campaign. Those that have had abortions and have found forgiveness in Jesus Christ are going to share their stories publicly. So powerful. Saturday, we'll be in San Francisco for the Walk for Life. And then on Sunday, I want to invite you again to join me in front of the U.S. Supreme Court from 10 a.m. to noon, this Sunday the 22nd. And we're going to have a memorial service for all the babies that have been killed since Roe v. Wade, 65 and a half million, and so many of the moms that have been killed, the moms and dads that have been wounded, devastated in their relationships, physical problems for the mothers. We're going to be praying for all these people. Great things coming up. Let's pray together now. Lord, first of all, bless the lives and the needs of all of our of our audience tonight. And bless all of us as we continue to serve you. Bless our nation that we may embrace life, that we may embrace justice, that we may embrace equality and acknowledge that indeed it begins in the womb. Help us, Lord, to build a culture of life and to stop the killing of children by abortion. We pray in the words Jesus taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, friends. We'll see many of you in Washington. And remember to follow me on social media. I'm at Fr Frank Pavone on the major platforms. Fr Frank Pavone. And friends, uh, remember that we are part of the greatest movement in American political history. And this country doesn't belong to those who want to destroy it or want to destroy life. It belongs to you and me. Let's continue to make it great. See you at the March for Life and continue to spread the word about our programs. God bless you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.